there's a church that's planted, those planted churches want to continually be moving forward and deeper into their identity in Christ. So as Cornerstone, a church that was planted about 16, 17 years ago now, we want to continue moving forward away from just being planted into being rooted in Christ collectively, that our identity would be one that is rooted in Christ. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about being rooted. And as we've been doing this teaching on being planted, moving from being planted to being rooted, we've talked about four, four assumptions. The four assumptions, you've heard them every week, are the first one is you cannot love the head, Christ, and hate the body, the church. So you can't say, I love Jesus, but I'm not too keen on the church because I've been wounded, I've been hurt in the church. Like, no, the church is the bride of Christ, and it's the place where we engage together and glorify Christ. So you cannot love the head, Christ, and hate the body, the church. The second assumption is the church is a means to an end, not and end, an end, but it is not the end, that Christ is the end. The church is a means to an end, but it is not the end. Christ is the end. Number three, we will at all costs be Christ-centered. And number four, we will not be driven by consumerism or numbers. So these four assumptions have been woven through our teaching over the past couple of months. Whether or not we've explicitly stated a connection to one of these, they're, they're embedded in what we're doing. So if you don't hear us refer to them during the message, be thinking about them because, because they're in there and they will continue to be in there. Last week, Jay presented a paradigm for deeper devotion with Christ. And uh, traditionally, and that's the paradigm that Jay, Jay presented last week, and this is the traditional paradigm. Traditionally, when believers fall away from Christ or they're not as connected, we say, well, just get more deeply devoted. So start praying more, start reading your Bible more, start going to church more, um, start doing all of these, these things that we do, that, that Christians do. And so get that stuff in line and do it. Find the time and do it. And then when you do those things, you find that, you know, you're a sinner. And so you confess your sins. You, you speak your sins out loud and say, I've sinned. Now that, I've, now that I'm more deeply devoted, I realize that I'm a sinner. And so I confess those sins. And then after confession, then, then we repent. We turn from those things. We turn to God. And then when we turn to God, he says, okay, finally, now I have your attention. You're forgiven. The problem with this paradigm is that it's very human-centered. It's very us-centered. It's, it's about us doing things. And now we, can, we, can, we certainly want to engage deeply devoted types of activities. But if it's strictly about us doing it to put in our time, then it becomes about us. And it becomes not about, about who God is, but about us getting our act together. Um, so we need to be very, very careful. And so what Jay then presented was a different a different paradigm where we, we repent, we turn from our sins because we align our minds with the mind of God. So the starting point becomes the mind of God. And we, we align ourselves with God's mind and with God's truth and, and we turn. And what we turn towards is we turn to see God and we confess who he is. That's the core of confession. Certainly we confess sins, but we confess who he is as, oh my goodness, that's my God. That's my holy God. And in light of who he is, this is, this is who I want to be because I can't be anything else because I see who he is. And then out of that, he leads us into deeper devotion. He walks with us. We don't, 
do it ourselves. We want to be disciplined. We want to be engaged in all those important things. But we do it with him. He opens the door to deeper devotion that we walk through, right? And so that's what Jay talked about last week, just to review. Um, just to look at a, a passage of scripture, Ephesians 4, 21, that relates, that relates to this, this, this paradigm that Jay presented last week. Ephesians 4, 21 and following says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Throw it off. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Right? You kind of hear that mind component connected with repentance there. Instead, let the Spirit do that work, right? We, again, we, we can't do it. Like, the Spirit does it. Throw off the old self, the old stuff, the old self. The Spirit leads us into that. We get rid of those attitudes. The Spirit leads us into that, that mind, that wrong thinking, right? Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, right, which is created to be like God. So we see God. We see who he is, we become like him, right? We become like him. And then it says, created to be like God, truly holy and righteous. So you see that component of deeper devotion. We become not, we don't become God. We become like God, righteous and holy. And that's that deeper devotion component. So I don't want to go too much in it. We could talk a lot about Ephesians 4 there. But just as a verse that, that aligns itself with, with what it means to repent to confess who God is, to see him, and then to be led into deeper devotion. So that was last week. This week, we're going to be looking at um, two key, and I'm going to call them activities right now, of the church. Two key activities um, that, that God has called his bride into, and those are baptism and communion, or the Lord's Supper. We call it communion, we call it the Lord's Supper. Um, two, two important activities that we as a body of Christ engage together. Sometimes these activities are called sacraments, um, particularly if you have any history of being a part of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church calls them sacraments, and sacraments means holy mystery, a holy mystery. Um, it also has this idea with it that um, sacraments are this visible sign. Sacraments are something we do to experience the tangibility of Christ's presence with us. So actually experience Christ's presence with us by doing something, whether it's baptism, whether it's communion, and then there's other sacraments that other churches adhere to. We're going to talk about baptism and communion this morning. So a sacrament, or the other term that churches use a lot is ordinances, because they're ordained by Christ. They're given to us by Christ. Christ says, these are for my bride to walk in, to live out. So sacraments, ordinances, you may have experienced and have heard those words in different traditions that you've been a part of. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. So let's um, pray together as we engage God's word on these things. Um, Jesus, you, uh, you reveal to us your truth. Um, and today we're going to hear from you on sacraments and ordinances, which um, are things that we do, and sometimes we may just do them out of routine, but Lord, you have really important things for us to learn and to see, in particularly baptism and communion, and what these things mean for your church, for your bride, Jesus. So open our minds, open our hearts to be able to see what it is that you want us to see in these, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So before we jump into the teaching, we're going to see a video. It's a short video. 
It's about eight seconds long. We're going to watch it about four times. You're going to see an interesting image in this video. Put that image on hold until the end, but you have to see it now, so when we talk about it later, you're going to get it, okay? So don't dwell on this. Put it on the shelf, but don't forget it either, okay? Cool. All right, let's run that video. Okay. So you have the image. You might have a headache. We're going to come back to this image in a little bit, okay? Guy walks through thick plate of glass, doesn't even realize that it's there, okay? That's what you saw if you weren't sure. That, that is what you saw. He broke it. He must have a hard head. Put it on hold. We're going to come back to it. It's going to be a picture for what we're talking about this morning. Actually, I just saw that video and I thought, how can I build an entire sermon around this video? (laughs) How can I do that? No, I didn't do that, really. Um, Okay, baptism. Let's talk about baptism. Our typical experience with this church engagement. What is our typical experience? Well, that's hard to say because we've all had different experiences with baptism. You've probably experienced your own baptism. You've experienced and been a part of others' baptisms, maybe in your family or friends or people in our church. As a kid growing up, um, this was my experience of baptism. There was maybe one Sunday a year, and we had a baptistry up on the stage at our church, the platform, and I remember walking in church those Sundays, and it was a little more humid, you know, because there was water, warm water, and uh, so there was kind of a more of a humid feeling in, in the sanctuary, and it was always interesting as a kid, you're thinking that this is like a little swimming pool, you know, this is kind of cool, it's kind of different, there's, you lift up the floor, and there's water, that's cool, you know, I'd like to have that in my house. And so the younger kids in the congregation were invited to come up for baptism to watch it close up. Did anybody ever have this experience growing up? Am I the only one? A couple people? Yeah. So we would get to come up, and we, we would sit around, you know, and watch this happen close up so we could learn more about baptism, see it better. And um, the women would wear these white kind of ga- cotton gowns to get baptized. Yeah, people nod their heads, Okay. Except when they would go down the stairs into the pool, the gown would get an air bubble in it, right? And it would puff up really hard. And they would be like, you know, like trying to do it. But to no avail. And, you know, we would always be like, (laughs) you know, we always as kids thought that was funny, right? Are you connecting with me on this, some of you? Okay, good, yeah. And so that was kind of like the highlight of baptism for me, you know, like, oh, let's see if the next lady's, you know what I mean? This was the kind of engagement that I had as a kid, to be honest, and so then once everything settled down and um, we held our snickers in, the, uh, the pastor would, would baptize in the church that I grew up three times forward in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we baptize here at Cornerstone as well, except at Cornerstone we baptize in a pond or we did like a, feed, a large feeding trough up here, the last um, baptism. Um, and then the person gets out of the water and they're, they're soaking wet and their clothes are clinging to them and there's somebody, some supporter who's sponsored them or a friend who's walked them who hugs them, you know, when they get out and then um, they're all wet. And just as a kid, those are just some of the memories that I had of baptism, not really connecting with the deep significance of what it meant. And, and I think the church, and I say like church, Big C Church, which Cornerstone is a part of, um, we have some generally accepted assumptions about baptism what we should see, what we should experience, how it happens, the way that it gets done. Um, and I'm just going to name some of those, which you may connect to some of these, maybe none of them, maybe, maybe all of them. We, uh, we usually expect 
good church kids to get baptized at a certain age, like maybe sometime between 10 and 15. That, you know, they grew up in a Christian home, and so they'll eventually say, yes, I'm going to get baptized. That's good. We celebrate that. That is, that is good, okay? That is good. And so we see young kids in the church getting baptized, making that choice, and owning their faith publicly. Um, we see adults getting baptized who have been baptized before, but are recommitting their life to Christ. Um, we also see um, adults getting baptized for the first time, but not nearly, but not nearly as often, right? We see adults getting baptized, but but for the first time, but but that doesn't seem to happen as as frequently. And then um, during those times of baptism, we hear testimony, story of of God's work in somebody's life, and they share that with us. And then finally, we we don't expect, I think, a lot of us to actually be the ones to lead somebody to baptism. We kind of just think that baptism's going to happen. That they're just, somebody's just going to hear about Christ. Um, they're going to want to accept Christ. And then at some point after that, they're going to want to make a public statement about who he is in their life and how he changed their life and share this testimony. But I think a lot of times we just kind of think, I, I don't know how they're going to hear about Christ. I don't know how they're going to get baptized. It'll just happen, or it just does happen somehow. Somehow it just happens, and we have a baptism ceremony, and people get baptized, right? And so we kind of maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable about that sometimes because we tend to feel uncomfortable about sharing our faith openly with people and inviting them to make a public statement of who Christ is in their life and how he changed their life. And so there's kind of maybe some shame tied up in baptism for us and some uncomfortableness as well because we're just not quite sure how to, how to make it happen. But we also remember that this is something that Christ has ordained for his church. It's something that he has given to us. So that's baptism. Now let's look at, let's look at communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, I also think there's some commonly held assumptions about, about how we engage this activity of the church, this ordinance or this sacrament of the church. Um, there seems to be a lot of shame tied up in communion because we think as the pastor is preparing the body to take of the bread and the cup, we sometimes hear things like, you know, are you right? Are you right before God? Are you right with other people in your life? And we think, oh man, oh, there's that one relationship that I have. Oh, they're, they're here today, actually. Should I take? Should I go to them? But, but I don't want to go to them in the middle because that's, I don't want to go and ask for forgiveness or pursue them because that's embarrassing. But, but does that make me unholy to take and I don't want to make something unholy that is holy, which is the bread and blood of Christ, the body and blood of Christ. But I don't, but I don't want to not take because if I don't, then people are going to be like, I thought they were a Christian. Why aren't they taking communion today? So we, you know, we have these feelings about communion, the holiness of it, or the holiness that we put on it, and how we should be engaging that, or not engaging it, and it can just be really hard sometimes for us, and there's some shame in there. Um, another assumption is that uh, a lot of times we take communion because it's just, it's just what we do. Maybe some of you grew up in a tradition where communion was every Sunday, or every week at some point. It was all the time. Or maybe it was just four times a year, but it was still something that you just did because that's what the church does. And maybe you know there's something more to it, but you just don't quite know what it means and you don't quite experience that more. So you just do it. 
Or maybe another assumption is that some of you might feel is that there's, um, you hope to feel something deep in communion. It's time for communion. And you know the holiness that surrounds communion. This is the bread which represents the broken body of Christ who died on the cross. And this is the juice which represents his blood spilt for me and you. His death so that we might have life. And so we go to the communion table and, we're, and, and we just want it to happen. We're like, okay, I know this is a holy moment. I know I'm supposed to feel, I want to feel something. I want to feel a deep connection with Christ. And, but the weight of the world is on our shoulders and we're thinking of all these things and we just don't feel what it is we think we should feel. So more shame, more shame. Or maybe you were never taught the significance of communion and you just do it to follow tradition. You just do it. You never thought about it, you never will, and you just do it. It's part of the routine. So maybe you can relate to some of these assumptions. Maybe you can relate to a lot of them. Maybe, maybe that's not what baptism and communion have been for you, and that's good. So we celebrate that. But for others of us, we've experienced some of these, these, these assumptions, these shame, these struggles, these feelings, these emotions around baptism and communion and what they mean. And so today, regardless of what your assumptions have been coming in and thinking about baptism and thinking about communion, I want, to, I want to give us, and I think the Spirit wants to give us, a renewed vision, renewed thoughts about what these things are for us, what these ordinances are for the church. So what is at the heart of communion? Let's start with communion. What, what is at the heart of it? If you want to flip your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 23. I'm going to start in the second sentence there. It says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So what is it, the communion is? What do we do in communion? In communion, we remember. The passage says communion is about remembering. But what is it that we are supposed to remember? We're remembering his death, right? Verse 26, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So at the heart of the Lord's Supper is the concept of death, okay? Now we look at baptism. Go ahead and uh, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Romans 6, verse 3. Paul says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So we look at baptism, this other ordinance of the church. And its focal point is again, death. So we've established that these two most important functions of the church, as ordained by Christ himself, baptism 
and the Lord's Supper center around death. Yay! Christianity is a party, huh? You guys alive? Are you dead? Right? Christ gives us these two things, communion and baptism, that he ordained for his church to take part in together, and they both center around death. But that's not the whole story, and we know that, right? We know that. Um, If you flip on your bulletin to the back, there's a little statement at the top that says thoughts from the sermon. It says we should find it a bit startling, startling enough to look deeper into the matter, that two of the most important activities that Christ commanded his followers to engage as a means to stay connected to one another and to the living water, to him, baptism and communion center around death. So why is it that these two things center around death? What does that mean? What does that mean for us? It's not the whole story. Go to John 6. John 6, verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Now go to John 12. John 12, 23. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now go to Romans 6 again. We read verses 3 to part of 4. I'm going to pick up in 4. For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So yes, communion and baptism center around this concept of death. The world has a definition of death. Something dies, something ends. It's over, it's done. But biblical death is redemptive. Death produces life. Jesus' death on the cross gave us life, and he was also resurrected from the dead to life. Right? Amen. When we are baptized, we die with Christ, and we are raised to new life with Christ. When we take communion, we, we are celebrating his broken body. That's why we break the bread. We are drinking his spilt blood. His blood was spilled on the cross for us so that we might have new life. So it's just this beautiful concept of death producing life. And so we celebrate death in communion and baptism, which I don't know if we actually do, but we should so that we can then celebrate life. It's a beautiful picture. So when we take 
the bread and the cup, which we're going to do later today. And when we participate in our own baptism or celebrate the baptism of others, we, we kind of, we're acting out a remembrance. The act of taking communion doesn't kill us. It doesn't itself bring on death necessarily. It merely remembers the death and therefore the life that resulted. When we are baptized, that's not the point that we came to know Christ. It's our public confession that at some point in our past, we came to know Christ. And so symbolically, we die and are raised to new life in him. And so these are our acts. It's a, a play, if you will, to help us remember the importance of death and life that Christ has given us. So we acted out as a marker to say, oh, Christ died for me. That's why I take communion now. He died for me. I have life. It's a marker. When we celebrate communion, we celebrate the fact that Christ died for us so that we might have life. When we celebrate baptism, we celebrate our participation in Christ's death as we die so that we have new life. And we need these markers of baptism and communion to remind us of this complete and utter paradigm shift that has happened in our life. Like, we are no longer this person, right? It's all changed. We are now this person. This is the old person. This is the new person in Christ. This person has a bunch of problems. This person has a bunch of problems. But they're owned by Christ. They're in his kingdom and engaging it. And when we engage the bread and the cup, and when we engage baptism, we realize and we wake up and say, I'm not here anymore. That's right. I forgot. I live most of the time like I'm here. But actually something happened. A complete and utter paradigm shift happened. A death happened. And I'm new. And I need to remember that. Because I keep going back here. And I keep living here. And I keep wondering why everything stinks. Right? My relationships, my kids don't listen to me, my job is horrible, you know, whatever. You all, you can fill in the blank yourself. And you know what? All that stuff exists right here. Except we realize that we're a different person here in the midst of it than we are there in the midst of it. Here, we are owned by Christ. Here, we're owned by the enemy, the world. And communion and baptism wake us up to the fact that we don't live there. A death happened for us. We live here. Don't feel shame in this, people. We all find ourselves here. But let communion and baptism be a reminder that we belong here. Amen? Amen. Um. when we looked at the video, we saw a man walking into, I don't know, a bank or something. I don't know where he was. He had this idea of the space that he was living in. The space was, I walk through the front door of the bank and I'm walking to the lobby. This is his paradigm for living. 
except that wasn't the reality that he was in, right? There was this piece of glass in front of him that he had no clue existed until he walked through it. And all of a sudden, his paradigm shifted. Oh my goodness, when I, he wasn't thinking this, but we can analyze the video. When I walked in the bank, I was thinking a certain thing about my space and the air around me and what was there and what wasn't there. Koosh! My paradigm is completely different. There was something there that I didn't see. Oh my goodness, I feel it physically. Oh my goodness, I feel it in my head because I feel really stupid right now. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell my family that I did this? Are there any security cameras? You know, completely shifted paradigm, completely shifted. The world around him was not what he thought it was. Think of communion and think of baptism as that plate glass, as an act of grace of God to remind us that this world that we live in, this, this paradigm over here, this space, is not actually where we are. Like the world is a different place for us who know death, who know the death of Christ, who know our own death through baptism. This is the place. And so we need to walk through the plate glass as a reminder to the paradigm that we're living in. We get so stuck here thinking that this is all there is. We forget about that place over there that God has called us to. That's who we are. Because death has happened. And so this is our place. So as we take communion and as we celebrate baptism, whether it's your baptism that is yet to be celebrated because you have yet to receive Christ, or whether it's you're celebrating the baptism of somebody else that you know and you love or a friend or somebody in our body of Christ, that it is a celebration of death because that's not the place that we live. We've died to that and we live to this place. And so when we take communion, when we celebrate baptism, we are woken up. It's a wake-up call. That this is the place that God has prepared for us. This is the new. This is the new. This is the old. The paradigm has shifted. Let's watch that video again. Think about it as this guy is walking through the plate glass four more times about how his paradigm is shifting and how baptism and communion are those markers for us to remind us that our paradigm isn't here. Our paradigm is there in Christ. Go ahead, Gene. I wish we had sound on this. It would make it more effective. I live in a certain world. I live in a world. Oh, that's not the world I thought I lived in. It's a different world. It's a world with glass that I can't see. Now again, baptism and communion do not lead us to death. They are not necessarily, I mean, we could experience a great death while we're taking communion or baptism. It could be that kind of experience for us. But they are markers. They're times to remember what Christ has done. They're times that wake us up to the fact that we live here and we don't live here. That we are owned by Christ that we are not owned by our sin. Communion and, baptize, and baptism are the plate glass. They wake us up to the reality of the paradigm that we are living in, that being God's kingdom paradigm. A paradigm that says, yes, death produces life. I have died for you, and you have died with me. You are now more alive than you have ever been. Live that way. You're alive. You're alive. 
So let's take a look at the paradigm that, again, that Jay presented last week. So we, we repent of ways that we've lived the Lord's Supper or that we've lived baptism. Um, we repent of the shame that we feel or that we make ourselves feel that we don't need to feel because it's not what it's there for. We aligned our mind with God's to say this is a remembrance of the goodness that you have given us in death and death hurts. The goodness that you have given us in death, we align our minds because the spirit does that work in us and we turn and we see God, right? We see him in baptism and repentance. We see him as the one who died and the one who rose us up from death to life just as he rose from death to life. He is the God who redeems those things. And so we see God, and in that, we are led into deeper devotion by him. Because we realize now that that we don't live here, that we live in his kingdom. And we experience his goodness and fullness because we realize that he owns us, and that is the place where we live. And so if you have these things with baptism, I mean, maybe some of you have gotten baptized six times or seven times because you wanted to rededicate yourself because you feel you didn't do it the right way before. Repent of that. And if you step to communion and go, oh, here we go again. I'm this horrible person. Am I doing it right? Should I, oh, I don't know what to do. And you're, you're focused on the wrong things. If you need to make something right with somebody, make something right with somebody. Trust the cross. There's no shame in that. Trust the cross. Communion is a celebration of death leading to life. Let's repent of that and receive the goodness of these things that God has us. Trust him that if you feel like you're taking communion in an unholy manner and you need to do something, that you will not be embarrassed, but you will receive God's grace in that because you're convicted by his spirit. Right? God wants us to be with him, holy and righteous, in deep devotion. The, uh, our identity, vision, and mission at Cornerstone, these statements you've seen before, and the language I want to point out to you is very, very intentional on the part of the elders, that our identity at Cornerstone, that Cornerstone is, is the bride of Christ and a body of worshipers rooted in sonship, because that's how God sees us. That's just who we are. We are that because we're his bride. We're here. We're his children. This is where we live. The baptism, the communion, remind us again, this is where we live. This is who we are. What's our vision? To see the beauty, supremacy, and glory of Christ as the chief concern of all people at Cornerstone in Lebanon and around the world. That's our vision. We believe that we will see that. Yes, it's down the road, but we will see it. We don't hope to see it. We don't doubt that we're going to see it. We will see it. Because we live here. I don't know what that looks like. It might look like different things for each of us. The things that we see, God showing us about him becoming the chief concern of all people. This is what we believe. Um, Cornerstone's mission Cornerstone makes disciples of Christ for the purpose of loving one another, our city, and beyond. 
We don't hope to make disciples. We're making disciples because that's who we are because we live here. It's very intentional language, very clear language. And so as we, as a body, collectively take communion this morning together, which we are, we're going to do that. When we take this morning, um, if you've never taken communion at Cornerstone, we ask if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are free to, to take communion. And there's going to be a communion station up here and a communion station in the back that will have two elder couples that will be attending each one of those areas. Um, the worship team is going to play through two songs. During that time, as you feel ready to approach and to take the body of Christ, which has been broken for you, and the blood of Christ, which has been spilt for you, um, do that as a reminder of his great love for you, the great gift that he has given you, that you are new, that you don't live here, that you live here, that death produces life. And if there's a dying that you need to do, die so that you can experience the life that Christ has for you. At Cornerstone, we, we rip and dip. So rip a piece of bread off, dip it in the cup, and then you can take when you're ready. A lot of people do it differently. So... Ripping and dipping is how we do it here at Cornerstone. Focus on the plate glass that Christ wants to wake you up to who you are and where you live through the taking of communion together. Let's, we want to close in prayer together and just uh, receive God's grace that comes through the communion that we just took. Um, we didn't have a baptism this morning. If you would want to be baptized, um, come come and talk to me afterwards and we can talk about what baptism looks like for you. If you haven't expressed that in your life, that outward sign of Jesus' death and you're dying with him and rising to new life. If you haven't experienced that yet and you would like to, come talk to me after the service. We're not going to baptize you today, but we're going to talk about what baptism is, what baptism is. So um, let's pray together. So if you could stand up, we can pray blessing over you. Jesus, thank you that we are your body of Christ together, your bride. We know who we are. Sometimes we lack faith. Sometimes we lack belief. Sometimes we regress into not believing who you are. And you give us things like communion, these ordinances that you've ordained for your body to remember the death that you've passed through so that we might live in the paradigm of your kingdom and not the old paradigm, the paradigm of the world. So Jesus, as a body, I pray for us collectively as a whole community, that we would be ones who live remembering your death through baptism, through communion, because in that is our life. And as the enemy surrounds us and entangles us in all kinds of sin and brokenness and hurt and pain, that we would not live being owned by that, but we would live being owned by Christ. We would live being owned by your death on the cross and the life that comes from it. And when we lack faith in those things, Lord, give us faith. We just ask for faith for our body to have faith, to know where we live and who we are. And when we doubt and we question or even get lost in the things of the world, God, wake us up with the pane of glass to show us the paradigm that we were actually living in, Jesus. Give us that grace. Jesus, you love us and we receive your love through your spirit today and we pray this in your name, amen.